listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 92, brought to you by Vessi Seeds and Safer's Gardening Products. Well, today, folks, we've got Jamie Simpson. He is the author of Journeys Through Eastern Old Growth Forests, uh, Restoring the Acadian Forest, and the topic of today's conversation, Eating Wild in Eastern Canada. He has a BSc in Biology, an MSc in Forestry, and a law degree. That's right, he's a lawyer. But not the kind that gets the oil company off scot-free for polluting the ocean and giving everyone cancer. He's the other kind of lawyer, the kind of lawyer that they make movies about that stands up for the little guy and sort of fights the big guy sort of thing. Um, he's the founder of Juniper Law. It's a local law firm, law firm in, in uh, Halifax, where I live. Um, it's a law firm specializing in environmental law. Um, Jamie. Tell us a little about, about yourself. Tell us first, I guess, about what what uh, inspired you to write these different books. And I can't believe you're so pro prolific of an author. Uh, what, what inspired you to get writing with these different books? Yeah, well, I've had a passion for nature ever since I was a kid. I, you know, basically spent, um, you know, pretty much every minute that I could when I was a kid outside doing something, exploring and, and my own little adventures uh, such that I could, could kind of... Uh, create or find and um and uh and and actually when i was i think i was around 10 or 10 years old something like that uh, somebody gave me a book that was written uh it was written for kids and it was all about foraging along the seashore oh wow and uh and it was like illustrated with cartoons and uh these this little um family of hedgehogs or something and they would go on these different adventures on each page was a new adventure where they'd go off and and collect something and um, some sort of an edible that they'd bring home. And uh, anyway, I was just entirely captivated by this book. So I used to go out and uh, I used this book to learn how to identify different edible plants along the shore and uh, edible uh, um, shellfish and uh, periwinkles. And, um, and so it, that was back in the days where you could um, get away with writing a book about foraging for for ten-year-olds, <laughs> uh, you know, you say, you know, go play outside for the day and take this book and see if you can find something to eat. Go eat some stuff. I don't know if you can get the way of that today, but oh. uh, but that was it was a wonderful experience and um, and so so that was my first introduction to foraging, and then uh, it just it was just a lifelong passion passion that I just kept doing kind of ever since, and uh, to the point where um, where I decided to. Uh, put a bunch of these um, experiences down on paper and um, yeah, put it together in a book. So hopefully to, to, you know, to, um, to, in, you know, encourage other people to get out there and, and experience some of those same um, joys that I have with, uh, with foraging. Do you, did you write these books while being a lawyer or before you were uh, involved uh, so heavily? I mean, I, I literally went to the dentist today and while I was waiting in the dentist office, I picked up, I don't know, it was a Metro or one of those, like free papers and there was a story in the newspaper about you about oh, yeah. this uh, case you're uh, uh, working which actually involves uh, i think my 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 mla um ian ranking right Ian oh Rankin, yes um, yeah. with regard yeah. to these uh six species at risk and the lack of action of the government that sort of thing um, mm. So yeah, he kind of inherited that problem. Unfortunately, it's certainly nothing personal against uh, against Ian. <laughs> I think he's probably I think he's probably a pretty good guy, actually. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, technically, I am uh, suing him. <laughs> <laughs> when you wrote these books, were you actively practicing as a lawyer at the same time? Were you just doing this like in your spare time? 
I think um, I think the second book, the the Eastern Old Growth Forest book. I think I wrote that when I was a law student. Okay. And then I, I think I started it before I was a law student, and then finished it when I was a law student. And then um, the um, the Eating Wild book. Yeah, I wrote in the last couple of years. So when I was a while I've been a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, and the first book I was actually um, I I had uh, I was hired to write the first book actually I, I was I was um, offered a grant basically to uh, to write the first book and so that's um, so I was able to work basically half time over over a, a period of time a year or so to to uh, to write that first book so um, so I had a, I had dedicated time and a, and a bit of income actually to to actually uh, dedicate time to it so that's uh, journeys uh, through eastern old growth forests. Yeah, that was the second one, and then and then the first one was the Restoring the Canadian Forest book. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I, you know we have a lot in common. I there's nothing I, when I was I mean I didn't read any books when I was in university, um, but uh, you know a couple times a year I used to get dropped off on the 103. That's a highway here in Nova Scotia. A lot of people, there's people listening all over the world. Um, I just get dropped off on the side of the highway for a week, and I just go in the woods and fish and just be out there. Um, oh wow! By myself, you know. And it was, uh, um, I just loved about three days in, um, you'd start to, I don't know, something would happen. I, I sound like a complete hippie when I explain this, but <laughs> you start getting sort of plugged in a little bit. You start yeah. smelling and just getting a sense of things. And I don't know what it is, but you become more, more um, passive and subject, subject to it sort of thing. I, I just yeah. love the, I love the feeling of it and I love the connection. And I just love the just being quiet and being on my own. You know, after about seven days, I wanted to come out. I was done, but but I did really sure. enjoy it a lot. And uh, yeah, also, yeah. also like you, although I didn't read the book you're talking about, but I remember when I was in grade seven. Uh, so I grew up. We we uh, used to spend a lot of time on McNabb's Island. Um, oh, nice. The island uh, for people that aren't from here, Halifax has a very large harbor. And at the entrance of the harbor, there's two islands that are almost like a plug for the harbor. Uh, Lawler, yeah. Lawler's Island, which is tiny, and McNabb's Island, which is relatively large. And uh, I knew, even as a child, in grade seven, I knew where to find blueberries, blackberries, and clams, and mussels. And I knew where mm. to fish for flounder off McNabb's Island. Oh, and, nice. I remember at the end of the school year, uh, I just read Black Beauty. You know, I had the, you know, that, that novel, Black Beauty, about the mm -hmm. boy who gets shipwrecked on an island with a horse. Yeah. He, he sort of lives off the land. Yeah. He, he eats yeah. uh, seaweed and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So I was worried in grade seven that my, I was going to get in trouble for getting bad grades. Um, so I had this plan to, because I knew where my mom kept like 20 bucks, which was like an infinite amount of money to me back in the 80s. Um, hmm. I was going to get that money. It was in her like, you know, uh, jewelry thing. Um, yeah. And I was going to take the bus into town. I was somehow going to find my way to McNabb's Island and I was going to live there. <laughs> I, didn't get, I didn't get in trouble. I just sort of live off the land like this boy. Uh, I hadn't really thought pretty much past that. I hadn't thought very far past that, but I had that. Right, right. Uh, luckily, I had just oh, enough. That's I, awesome. think, <laughs> I think I had a B average, so uh, I knew I was gonna, wasn't going to get in trouble. Sort of thing. You'd be all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't, nice. that whole path of my life never got taken. Um, hmm. So uh, what, this uh, practice of yours, Juniper Law, what, what, uh, what, what do you focus on? Well, the, the, you know, the, it's certainly a focus on environmental law. And um, 
was in court uh, yesterday. That's a, that, that story that you're that you're referring to. So um, that case was all about um, basically trying to ask the uh, asking the courts to tell the Department of Lands and Forestry to um, to basically to abide by their own laws. Um, we have an Endangered Species Act, and, and that act requires the Minister of Lands and Forestry to, to do certain things with respect to the recovery of endangered species. When they're identified. Species at risk in Nova Scotia. And, um, and the government hasn't been doing all of those things for all, for, or at least for, for a good number of the species. Yes. And, so, um, and there's been a series of, of reports over the years that have been calling on the, the government to, to meet its commitments under the act, its, its legal duties under the act. And they seem to have, uh, you know, continually dragged their feet on uh, on meeting their legal obligations. So, so the case yesterday, we basically were asking the court to, to step in and to tell the government to essentially get its act together and uh, and uh, do the things it's supposed to do by law. Right. Yeah. So, so that's that was uh, one example. Um, you know, I work on uh, I'm working on a project uh, for um, for some uh, fisher uh, fisher uh, organizations up in um, Picto area around the northern pulp mill and uh, we're oh. very concerned about a potential effluent treatment pipe going into the Northumberland Strait so working with them on the whole environmental assessment process there. Um, I were, I'm really uh, fortunate and honored to work with some Mi'kmaq communities in Nova Scotia on, uh, on forestry issues and uh, so yeah so a variety of things yeah nice. and I you know I write some wills now and then and <laughs> a little bit of family law and <laughs> this and that. <laughs> Anyway, to bring it back, uh, in terms of this book, uh, what uh, I brought Jeremy on today to talk about, because this ties into uh, the kind of gardening that I like to do. I have a large garden in my backyard, and I practice a form of gardening called uh, permaculture, where you, 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 I mean, it's a garden with kale and beans and potatoes and all the things you'd normally have in a garden, but the way you try to develop the soil system is to copy nature to a large mm. extent. So you look at a forest and the ground's covered in fallen leaves and fallen sticks and that sort of thing and no one's tilling it and no one's watering it and everything's growing just fine without anybody intervening. Yeah. So the notion is that that's how the organisms in the soil prefer that kind of environment rather than a perpetually tilled and annually tilled environment. Right, um, right. So you try to copy that and there's all kinds of literature mm. about it and so on and so forth. Um, so that's, we're trying to copy that, but we're trying to grow things that aren't native to here. I'm growing tomatoes and <laughs> things from, you know, tropical places and all kinds of, you know, things from Europe and so on and so forth. Um, yeah. Yeah. But what your book was about, um, eating wild in Eastern Canada is, I guess, the purest form of permaculture there is in a sense. You're just like foraging. In a mm. sense. Right. Right. So, um, I thought I would have Jeremy on today to talk about, um, this is an always this is always a, an interest of mine. I like to go hiking in the woods. I like to spend a lot of time in the woods. And uh, one thing I see all the time is mushrooms, and they all look they all look edible to me. I don't know anything. <laughs> I'll pick them up and break them in half and smell them. Like God, that smells like a delicious mushroom. It smells perfect. Smells just like a mushroom. Yeah. And if I eat it, I might bleed to death uh, internally you know my yeah <laughs> so um, i thought i'd have jeremy on the show to talk about um I, the notion was like you know top top edibles uh, i think we're going to focus just on forests we'll, we'll see uh, how much time allows here um and when i say top i guess i'm trying to find the best combination of 
ease of identification, um, the uh, things that are not easily confused with other things that are not mm. edible, um, the ubiquitousness or you know the availability of those. I mean, it could be something that's great, but you almost never find it. Um, and taste, of course. I mean, like there's there's the, these uh, things. I don't know what the technical term for them is, but there's these things that grow in my backyard. Um, I grew up. The term we use was foxberries. They're these little bright orange berries. There's another mm -hmm. name for them, and you can eat them. And people used to use them to thicken their jam and stuff like that. But they don't taste like like <laughs> something you'd eat if you were dying. Yeah. You know, like you, they don't taste like anything. They almost have no taste at all. They're <laughs> like a starchy thing that you just eat to not die. Um, so those would not be top of my list. Yeah. Um, anyway. In that sense, uh, with no further, you know, and I'd love to have you back to talk about the shoreline because I think, mm. I honestly think for Nova Scotia that if I had to be left somewhere, I'd want to be left on a shoreline. So there seems to be a lot more going on there. Yeah, um, for sure, for sure. But yeah, yeah, someone's walking through the woods and uh, I suppose there's different kinds of woods here as well. I mean, the, the kind of woods behind my house, yeah. I, I live, my house backs onto the Terrence Bay Wilderness area. Um, so it's that uh, sort of, spruce tree rock moss nothing you know there's some berries and stuff like that but it's, it's not yeah. the most most plentiful ecosystem in my opinion anyway there are right. some things there but maybe i don't know maybe there's i'm walking by good things all the time but uh, yeah no further ado take it away jeremy <laughs> <laughs> well um yeah goodness hard to hard to choose really i mean i mean for for me like edibles are all about um like when we go to a grocery store, we have basically um, all of the food all of the time in a very small location. Yes. <laughs> With foraging, it's 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 quite different because it's we have um, you know specific foods in specific locations at specific times, and so it's it's very um, you know a, a lot of foraging is all about kind of building up a bit of a, a mental map of where different foods grow yes. at, and at what times of of the year yes um and so uh so for me like i when i think of my top you know top foraging foods it's more about like okay what time of year and what sort of an area are we talking about um yes and uh, so but okay you know, let's let's leave leave time. let's leave winter out of the equation oh there's still there's still stuff to gather in winter yeah for sure for sure right. um but um but yeah well let's uh, why not? Let's start with winter. <laughs> okay. Why not? Okay. Um, so, uh, so in winter time, it's it's um, there's a there's a there's a fungus known as chaga. Chaga, yeah. It's kind of it's it almost looks like some uh, burnt charcoal or something like that, except larger, you know. Um, and uh, and it grows on birch trees, white birch trees and yellow birch trees, and grows all around the world through the whole sort of temperate forest um region around the world and boreal temperate and boreal and uh, wherever birch trees grow and it makes a really nice uh, beverage a, a hot drink a, a tea of sorts yeah and uh and so that's that's a nice one to gather during the winter time yes and uh there's um there's a, a shrub called high bush cranberry and it's not it's not actually a cranberry it has it's not related to cranberries whatsoever oh. um it's, it's actually a viburnum in the viburnum genus and it's um, it has these clusters of of red, uh, bright red berries, and it's kind of neat to see them in the winter because sometimes you'll just have like all the kind of the whites and grays of of winter, and plus the the evergreens of course, but um, but you don't you don't have a lot of strikingly bright colors 
And uh, so sometimes you, you'll come across these and it will have lost all its leaves, but it keeps its berries, um, you know, often right up till Christmas or even past Christmas. And um, so you just get this, this flash of bright red, uh, these clusters of berries and they're fun. You can go and, uh, and collect them and um, make uh, like make like a like a tart sauce out of them or or mm. a, you know a tart sort of jam type spread type thing. You can add sugar to it and sweeten it up, and it makes a really nice jam sauce topping type thing. Is it like and, uh, what uh, they call uh, partridge berries? Is it related to that at all, or is it a different like a Logan di berry? Uh, yeah, different, different, uh, different again. I mean, kind of similar in 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 that they're kind of that reddish color and and they're you know kind of tart. Um, but it, but it grows on a, you know, these shrubs can be, um, you know, 20, 30 feet high. Oh, um, really? so goes up, you know, you, you're reaching up to grab them oftentimes. What do you uh, call, what ecology are they in? What, what, sorry? What ecology what? are they in? Like, are they in bogs oh, or uh, highlands? Or? Yeah, they, they really like the edges of forests. Edge. Um, so, um, so edges of fields uh, and usually slightly richer soils. Okay. Um, so if you found, if you find like old farmland, um, uh, or old pasture land, uh, you'll typically find them growing along the edges of those fields, kind of where you're transitioning between kind of, uh, fields into forests, um, right along those edges or, or hedgerows, um, edges along roads or hedgerows or, um, so yeah, sort of upland dry-ish richer type soils right. is where you find the high bush cranberry. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, they're quite lovely. Um, so that's that's kind of like winter time. Um, I even, you know, uh, if if there's no snow on the ground, then you can still pick uh, cranberries and um, and and uh, you refer to uh, partridge berries, also also known as lignin berries. Yeah. Um, you can uh, pick those um, right through the winter into the spring, actually, right. uh, as long as there's no uh, snow cover. And they they actually get really they get a lot sweeter over the winter. And by the time spring comes around, they're like super sweet, really tasty, occasionally fermented, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still not bad. And um, so, yeah, yeah. And then and then when you get um, into May, of course, that's fiddlehead season. Yes. And I, I, I absolutely love collecting fiddleheads. It's, it's one of my favorite times of the year. How do you know? Because, I mean, I've, I, I like, I'm an avid, avid angler, so I'll be out in the woods and I'll see fiddleheads, but I always seem to be a week earlier or a week late. Is there uh, any indicator that you would look to, to so like, okay, the, the maple tree is at this stage, so the fiddleheads, like, is, there, is it connected to something else that you can use as an indicator to know when to go looking for the fiddleheads or would you just yeah uh, know um or just go out every week if you know where they are you sort of check every week until they look like they're ready yeah i mean that's not a bad plan if, if you have the if you have the time to do that um nice to be out out in the woods that time of year anyway so but um i mean in terms i mean in terms of an actual date, I always think, oh, like Mother's Day is coming up, and uh, and it's usually like like right around there or a little bit before, sometimes a little bit after, but but kind of in that sort of that first week of May, you know, first ten days, first, you know, in, in that in that uh, uh, range anyway, and um, and oftentimes where where the fiddleheads grow, you'll find that um, they them the fiddleheads themselves will have um, different plants will. Uh, will become like ready to pick at different times. 
Um, and, uh, and so, you know, within sort of a large fiddlehead area, you'll find patches that open really early and then patches that kind of open a bit later. And so I find that even if I don't, you know, catch the, the early ones, then there's always going to be a few that I can get, or sometimes I get there early and I, I get the early ones, but the, the other ones aren't ready yet. So, you know, you, you don't have to, you know, nail it exactly on the, on a, on a certain day. You've got a little bit of leeway there. Right. And, uh, and I, and I bet it's, it's, it's partly a survival strategy for the, for the fiddlehead fern because they kind of, they um, stagger their, their opening over a, over a bit of a, you know, longer season. Yeah, that would make sense. Is there, can you, can you mistake the fiddlehead for anything else or is it basically, if it looks like a fiddlehead, it, it's a fern, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a juvenile fern. Is there different kinds of, is it a fern? It, yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's, um, you know, the, the common name is ostrich fern. Ostrich fern. Um, and like uh, because a, when it, when it, unfurls it kind of looks like an ostrich feather apparently not that i've seen many ostrich feathers but um but uh, but yeah and you want to make sure that you do get the ostrich fern um you don't how would want you to know what's that how would you know oh yeah so it's um it's uh if you if you um it grows uh in sort of a the ostrich fern has like a, a head when it's um or it's also called a crown and uh, and from that crown, you'll get multiple of the young kind of immature fronds coming up out of that crown. Yeah. And uh, so that's one indicator. You've got a bunch of them growing kind of like in a circle. And um, and then if you were to take a cross section of one of those uh, immature fiddlehead fronds, all tightly curled up, and take a cross section of the stem, and you'll see that it has a very large indent in the on the inside side. So it's shaped kind of like a U. Oh. If it's D, like just sort of flat across like a D, solid D, then that's not a fiddlehead, oh. <laughs> not, not an ostrich fern. And uh, so you don't want to eat it. But if it's got that nice U and if it's growing in that head type formation and if it's growing kind of in rich soil by a river, um, it's probably going to be a fiddlehead. <laughs> and there shouldn't be any like um, any like uh, hairs on it either. It's It's basically a smooth fern. There'll oh. be like um, there'll be scaly, um, like a fluffy sort of scaly brown stuff that kind of like sheathing or covering the fiddleheads sometimes. Uh, but those basically just wash right off and there shouldn't, like once you wash those off, then there shouldn't be, it should be just a nice um, um, smooth uh, uh, fiddlehead. <laughs> right. And, uh, and of course that, uh, that bright green color and yeah. Wow. Okay. So I'll have to, I'll have to have a look for that because I see them all over the place, but I never know. Now, would, if you ate the wrong one, would you know right away, like, oh, it would be very bitter and, you know. Uh, uh, I've never tried, I've never tried ferns that weren't ostrich ferns. Okay. Um, some of them are, um, some of them are definitely, um, they will cause some upset stomach uh, issues. Uh, they're, yeah, they, and, and apparently, I, and I don't know this for sure, but apparently some of them have been, uh, determined to be carcinogenic, um, so so you so you know maybe over the long term you wouldn't want to be eating them, and also over the short short term they can cause some stomach upsets, and and an ostrich fern can also cause stomach upset too if you don't cook it properly. Right. Um, you you really you don't want to eat them raw basically. Right, right, <laughs> um, right. But uh, for for me, uh, it's it's uh, when I'm eating fiddleheads, it's it's critical to cook them for just the right amount of time because. If you don't cook them long enough, they're going to be crunchy and potentially give you an upset stomach and not taste very good. 
right. uh, too bitter. If you cook them for too long, then they just turn to mush and they're not very good. Uh, so there's that real sweet spot with, with fiddleheads uh, that, um, you know, I think it's around eight minutes, seven, eight minutes um, of, of cooking time. But okay. anyway, they, 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 the color changes slightly and the texture is like al dente, I guess, like still a little bit firm, not crunchy and not mushy. Okay. <laughs> Right. But, uh, anyway, I love, I, you know, I, I um, always look forward to May. Yeah, no, especially that like early May, uh, some people call that the, the magic time in the woods because there's a mm. period right before the black flies show up and the foliage isn't too bad and the ticks aren't too bad. Yeah. And, you know, it's just so, and, but the woods is that you can make a fire because it's not, it's, it's rained a bit, so it's uh, not too yeah. dry. And it's just, and, but the, and the fish are biting. If you, some days you can get a mayfly hatch, you can fish. And then like yeah. a week or week or two after that, it's uh, just a hellish black fly. <laughs> tick, yeah. Tick, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So no, it really, it really is. And often um, migrant uh, songbirds are showing up around that time of year too. Yes. And, um, and there's certain, especially where you go uh, fiddlehead collecting, there's, there's often um, really lovely uh, wildflowers. Right. That, uh, that are blooming at that time of year too so it's it's a, it's a great time you're you're absolutely right yeah it's a great time to be in the woods is there any other edibles in spring that are easy to find and identify um gosh fiddlehead's the one that really stands out to me right. around that that time um i mean i'm sure there's more that uh can't yeah. quite think of on the top of my head i know but... should be being careful not to mention any mushrooms and is that just because it's so difficult not to mistake a good one for a bad one? Oh well um they usually come out a little bit later in the summer oh, okay. um so you'd be looking more like july august for right. for the mushrooms that's, that's okay. kind of more when they i mean you can find some early ones earlier in the season um but um but i start yeah i start looking for mushrooms more kind of mid midsummer um right. and you know probably the most um you know the one that most people would recognize of course is the chanterelle mushroom yeah it's a very distinct mushroom and it's a and amazingly tasty too so i uh, think so i have them back behind my house here i just don't know for sure oh, awesome i brought a bunch back to my desk here and i yeah. looked there's a there's a what's it called eastern there's a website called Eastern Edibles or something like that. It's a pretty okay. neat, they got a, it's a taxonomy of different things. I couldn't find, they didn't look identical. They looked like the chanterelles and someone like you would know. Um, but I couldn't, they weren't identical, right? Okay. Um, and okay. I'm, I'm a novice enough that I was like, this isn't worth dying over. But they looked, I also think I have what's called Head of the Wood here. Um, it seemed to grow oh, nice. in massive piles. I have them right in my backyard because I've got all this oh, awesome. wood chips and rotten logs all over the place, and they seem to grow all over the place. Um, Great. But, but I don't Great. know. Right? So it could be yeah. like I could fill a grocery bag with mushrooms, no problem, but they might yeah, kill, my, right. kill my whole family. So. Are they edible? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. No. So I'm not, I'm not really sure uh, how one would go about uh, uh, learning that sort of thing. I guess there's courses you can take. Um, yeah, I mean the best the best way to do is is to go with somebody who who knows these mushrooms, um, and and the thing with mushrooms too, like there's there are like you know dozens and dozens and dozens of, of species out there, but really there's there's only a few that are like really deadly poisonous, and there's a few really choice edible ones, and so kind of my approach is like to like I I'm not like a mushroom expert by any means. 
but I know the, the really poisonous ones and I know the, um, I know what I consider to be like the choice edible ones. Chanterelles. And then, and then I, I try to learn like a few every, every once in a while, try to learn a few more just, just for interest sake. But it's, um, it's not that hard to learn a few of the choice ones. And there's no reason for people like, no reason to be afraid of going picking mushrooms. Um, once you know what a chanterelle looks like yeah. and um, it's, it's, you know, you know what it looks like. <laughs> it's, it's very obvious. And, um, and uh, so, yeah. When, yeah. When do they tend to be available, chanterelles? When do they? Yeah. yeah so anywhere like midsummer, um, you can find them like the peak would probably be around like mid late July or so in really? early August. And then, but then you can still find them right up until, um, until like October, uh, you know, you, you, um, you know, even up to Thanksgiving sometimes, oh, um, wow. but uh, different patches will have, you know, yeah. Yeah. I know there's a patch of what I think is that I'm gonna have to go grab one and send you a picture. Right, <laughs> I know right, exactly right. where they are. So I have a trail I take to the lake back here where I've got a canoe and there's like a, these sort of, they look like them to me, but who, who knows? Cool. Um, so what about uh, fall? Uh, Let's see, fall, well, I mean, there's a lot of berries, a lot of berries that, are, yeah. that are coming on. Um, you know, blueberries, of course. One of my favorite berries is uh, huckleberry. Huckleberry. Um, and it tends to grow along the, um, like the margins of lakes, um, streams, and, uh, and also even like along the, uh, the ocean. Um, if you have like a granite kind of barren area, you'll often find um, huckleberries growing just like between the forest and where it shifts more to um, like, uh, like juniper and, and, and uh, um, cranberry and, and those types of plants. And uh, so it's a, it's a really awesome berry. <laughs> it's uh, one of my favorites for sure. What color um, are they? It just has like this perfect sweetness to it. Yeah, huckleberries. What color are they? What's that? What, co what color are they? Huckleberry. Oh, what, yeah. what, what color? Yeah. Like, are they oh, red? Are they, or blue? Uh, they're like a dark, um, kind of like basically black. Um, black. Maybe really, really dark blue or a, or a black. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're, um, and uh, super, super tasty. Super yeah. tasty. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and another berry that's um, that also, it's kind of like a late, you know, mid late summer berry would be. Um, um, it's, uh, it's got a bunch of different common names, but one of the common names is serviceberry, and uh, the, the genus is Amelanchier, and, uh, and it grows all across Canada, and in different parts of Canada, it's known by different names. Out west, it's, uh, or in the prairies, it's called a Saskatoon berry. Saskatoon, yeah. And, um, not the exact same species that we have here, but it's in the same um, genus, and, um, and here people call them a wild pear, or a juneberry, or mayberry, a serviceberry, Hmm. Um, shad bush also known as um, so and it's a it's it's a it's a great tasting berry very nice and sweet um, unfortunately birds and and well not unfortunately it's just part of you know uh, the, there's a lot of nature out there that also likes <laughs> the, the service berries um, so you can't uh, not always lucky enough to actually get them but um, but when you are it's a, it's, a, it's a lovely berry I'm going to put you on the spot here because I got two, I got something in my backyard, which I think is sand cherries. And, oh, uh, wow. um, and those are not choke cherries. Well, what's the difference between choke cherries and sand cherries? 
Um, well, sand cherries grow very low to the ground. Um, they tend to be kind of like a creeping shrub that, that grows often along um, like riverbanks, okay. um, like sandy, uh, like sandy riverbanks oh. or, or lake shores. Maybe and, that's um, not what I've got. <laughs> and, and I've never, they, they might grow in Nova Scotia, but I've never heard of them growing in Nova Scotia. I, I only know them from New Brunswick. They, they do grow in New Brunswick, um, okay. but not, not common, mostly along like the um, St. John River. Oh, so maybe what I've got is not that because they are, you know, they're, they're six feet off the ground. Like the, 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 the tree, it's, it's like a tree. It looks like it's, it's not unlike uh, a lot of different, looks like a fruit tree. You can sort of tell, okay. but I mean, yeah. the highest branches are as high as I can reach. I can reach eight feet high and the berries are, you know, six feet off the ground, some of them, um, mm. and the, but they all disappear. So the birds are edible because the birds eat them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, now they, you know, I'm sure if I ate a whole bunch, I'd probably end up, uh, in the bathroom, but, um, yeah. maybe they're a choke cherry perhaps. Uh, yeah. yeah. So sometimes wildlife, um, do eat things that, that wouldn't be agreeable to humans. <laughs> they, they have, they have certain, um, different, um, I don't know, enzymes or, or whatever it is, but they're, yeah. they're able to process different foods that, uh, that humans can't. So, so don't always, wouldn't want to like always assume that just because birds are, or something else is, is eating something that, that, uh, that humans can also eat it. Yeah. Just, just cause a, a porcupine can, porcupine can eat the bark off a pine tree doesn't mean it's a good idea <laughs> <laughs> true, enough, true enough although the inner bark is edible from pine trees for, for humans yeah so if you i mean to go back to that original topic if you had to be put i mean so your book covers forests fields and shorelines and if you mm -hmm. had to be marooned or or lost in a in a given ecology would you have a preference Let, let's say for any one of those the optimal time of year I would say fall. Okay, let's uh, let me ask you again. What time of year and where would be your favorite? Like, if you could choose to be lost or, you know, have a plane crash yeah. somewhere, <laughs> what would be your? Well, preference? it would be um, maybe a post bug season and uh, and by the ocean for sure. By the ocean, yeah, yeah. 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 I, and you know, studies um, where uh, you know looking at. Um, the uh, the Mi'kmaq diet uh, here before um, before Europeans, uh, I I think if I have this correct, I think it was it was well over seventy percent of their diet was ocean based or marine based one way or another. Yeah. And so you know clearly that's the real kind of rich abundance of food that we have in, in this area is uh, it's from the ocean and also fairly easy to collect too. I so know. There's all the the shoreline plants and then we have intertidal zone plants. And then we have uh, the seaweeds, the kelps, um, various um, uh, various algae species that are that are that are, that are good, um, and uh, and then the shellfish, and then of course the fish themselves. So on the shelf, I mean, think about the energy that goes into harvesting shellfish. It's relatively easy. I mean, you just pick them yeah. up, sort of. If you know where they are, you gotta know where they are. Um, that's yes. that trick usually. Just but if you know, if you've been doing something for generations, someone shows you where they are, and you know where they are. I remember mm -hmm. as a, a boy, we used to to pick um, blueberries on on George's Island, this little right. little round island in the middle of Halifax Harbor, which used to be like a prisoner for prisoners of war and stuff. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't even know that we were allowed to be on the island at the time, um, but uh, we just did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but that right. island was covered in blueberries like you wouldn't believe. Wow. And uh, and McNabb's Island is a, a wealth of berries. I mean. A, 
would have been a good place to to hide out as a kid. Uh, if I had, yeah, that's right. I knew where to find clams on the island. I knew mm -hmm. where to find mussels. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you can get out of the weather because it's large enough that you can sort of retreat inland. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, nice. it's, a, it's a really undervalued uh, gem, I think. Uh, perhaps right. people that live here, they don't understand that for. You know, I don't know what it costs, 10 bucks to get a guy in a boat to drive you over there. Um, you're basically on a, a untouched kind of pristine, relatively pristine wilderness. Um, right. Even if you live awesome. in a, like as a student, you, you know, like I'd be living in a crappy apartment downtown with no car. Mm. And, you know, I could take the bus down to down, downtown and, you know, for a few, it was even cheaper back then for a few bucks. I'd be on this like nature, wild nature preserve with nobody, nothing there, nobody there. It was yeah. Just utterly beautiful, you know? Yeah. And, uh, nice. When I was a child, that beach would have been covered in people. I mean, covered in this, in the summertime. <laughs> now you go there and there's uh, nobody there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. So I, I don't know what happened with that. Have you ever been uh, on the casting? Have you ever been out there? uh once and it was a very long time ago so but i'd yeah. love to get back sometime oh man it is it's money well it's time well spent and money well spent mm -hmm. i i should mention that with shellfish it is important to check the um to see make sure the beach is actually open there yes. are uh, there are some naturally occurring toxins and also human caused toxins that um that mean that some beaches are are closed to, to shellfish harvest and but you can go on the department of fisheries and oceans website and it'll show you a map of all the beaches that are open or closed for, for different species. So That's good right. thing to check before you go and dig some clams for supper. Well, to that effect, McNabb's Island is closed. <laughs> you can't. You're right. Yeah, no doubt. I, I called yeah. them and asked. It's the only place, perfect example. That's the only place I know to go to find them. There's a certain, um, and there's a, you can't just get them anywhere. There's a place, and I'm not telling anybody, but you know, there's a place where they're abundant there. That's the only yeah. place I know of because <laughs> I was shown that by a relative. I'm right. sure there's other places to dig clams, but I don't know where they are. Like I'd have to like invest a ridiculous amount of time driving to beaches that or not beaches, but you know, parts uh, inlets, I guess that look like they have the right conditions and be there at low tide and, you know, and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. It would be the time you have to put into finding a, uh, uh, you know, a location that's abundant in some sort of wild edible is incredible. If someone doesn't show you where it is, it's wonderful to just like yeah. behind, behind my house. I was I was walking through. I'd gone off the trail a little bit, just following, uh, you know, my compass, and I fell down and I landed face first in a clutch of um, Labrador tea. Oh, nice! I just I could yeah. smell uh, like lemon. You know, like that's mm -hmm. sort of a medicine-y, citrusy like a smell that's just not typical. You know, yeah. everything, everything there smells like spruce. <laughs> so right. it's like one right. thing that didn't smell like spruce or moss yeah. um, is that Labrador yeah. tea. Anyway, well, it's been great having you on. I hope we can have you on again because I'd love to do an episode on, on shoreline edibles because I think that is uh, the place to be <laughs> if you're really foraging. Uh, you know, yeah. with a, uh, uh, everybody watching if you enjoy this episode and you want to help support the show uh, check out the show notes for uh, deals on the uh, products offered by my sponsors VSCC is a safest guiding product there's a uh, coupon codes if you want to support the show and they sell something that you need buy it from them and that'll help make uh, more of this possible 
Uh, Jeremy, it's great having you on, your show, on the show. I know you have a very busy schedule and I appreciate you uh, taking some time to talk to my viewers about wild edibles. Um, thanks for having me on. Yes. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Everybody out there, okay. until next time, thanks for listening. Get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Thanks for watching. <laughs> great. All right.